got your Bible with you, open up to 1 Kings chapter 3 this evening. 1 Kings chapter 3. Last week we were looking at King Solomon. He's taken the place of his father, King David. A little bit of uh, trouble making it to the throne, but he's finally come to the throne. David gave him some advice last week in chapter 2. As David was on his deathbed, say, hey, listen, Solomon, there's a few guys that you might want to take care of. Keep your eye on them and, and deal with them how you see fit because they are probably going to bring you some problems. Then, as we pick up tonight in chapter 3, I think we're going to make it through the whole chapter, but we'll kind of take it as it comes. Uh, I'm just going to read the first four verses and, uh, and just follow along with me, and then we'll come back and talk about them. Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. So what we have here in the first four verses of uh, chapter 3, it's kind of a, hey, what you been up to, Solomon? You ever run into somebody that you haven't seen for a long time, and you say, hey, how have you been? What have you been up to? So Solomon is kind of giving us an overview of what he's been up to after the last 13 years or so. You know, we're going to back up a little bit, but he, these first four verses are kind of an overview. He says, well, you know, I negotiated a peace treaty with Egypt. I got married again. I built a house, and I also built a house for the Lord, and I also built a wall around the city. So if you were to meet Solomon on the street and say, hey, what have you been up to? He'd probably tell you these same four verses. And, you know, he'd, he'd say, well, well, great, Solomon. What, what, what have you been doing? I've been serving the Lord. That's what I've been doing. I've been serving the Lord. I've been so busy serving the Lord. I had to negotiate this peace treaty with Egypt. I, had to, I got married as a result of it, we find out. And I had to build my own house. And I had to build a wall. And I had to build a house. Man, it's been a busy couple of, you know, decade and a half or so. It's been a busy time. And we can see where that, where that would be a busy time for someone. But let's take these things one at a time. The overview of Solomon here in this verse 1 is Solomon is serving God. He's busy doing God's work sometimes. Because what we're going to find out and what you should know, if you don't, I'll share it with you tonight. He makes a peace treaty with Pharaoh, who's the leader of Egypt. Good news or bad news? Well, if you know the scriptures, you're going to come to find out it's bad news because the people of Israel are supposed to be governed by God. They're not supposed to be relying on their peace treaties that they can make on their own. But Solomon makes this peace treaty with Pharaoh, and actually the historians will tell us that Pharaoh probably approached Solomon on this because at this time Israel was a great power to be reckoned with, and Egypt was not such a great power, and they likely approached Israel, they approached Solomon, perhaps some Bible scholars even suggest they approached David on it before his death, but Solomon goes ahead and he makes the peace treaty. As a result, he gets married. He gets married, he gets another wife. Well... He already had at least one wife that we know of, the next the following king's mother he's already been married to. So this is not his first wife, this is another wife. And if you know anything about Solomon, you know that he's got a thing for the ladies, doesn't he? <laughs> to say, to, what did he have, like six or seven hundred wives and three hundred concubines we're going to come to find out? It's just, it's just ridiculous, you know, what he had. So he decides that I'm going to make this peace treaty with Pharaoh, but I'm sure, you know, you know when... 
you do something kind of out of God's will, you can always kind of justify and rationalize it in your mind, can't you? You can always, there's always a good reason for doing it. And I'm sure the good reason for this was the people of Israel. Well, I want to protect the people of Israel. And, you know, e- Egypt is, they're on the rise down there. And they're, they're you know, they're getting better and stronger. And I, I got I to make sure we're, we're prepared for the future, right? I mean, how many things have we done to prepare for the future outside of God's will? Like, woo. Let God take care of the future. Not that we shouldn't be good stewards with the things that we have. Not that we shouldn't make preparations, but we shouldn't solely rely on our preparations. So Solomon's here. He makes the peace treaty with, uh, with them. And, but he also does a couple other things. He, he gets married, Pharaoh's daughter. And that was, that was a political move as well because it was kind of thought to be, well, now that Solomon's married to politi- Pharaoh's daughter, well, they're not going to attack and we're not going to attack. So it kind of seals the treaty, if you will. So it was, it was, it was a political marriage in that day. And he gets married and brought her back to the city of David. Brought her back to Jerusalem, brought her back there. Finishes building his own house and he also builds the, the temple to the Lord, which we'll cover in upcoming chapters. He builds a wall around Jerusalem. But then look at verse 2. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. So what we see taking place is the people of Israel, they're sacrificing to Jehovah God, their God, at the high places. But what they're doing is they're intermixing the, the, the multiple gods. They're, they're intermixing the gods of the Canaanites. They're intermixing their God. They're kind of lumping church all together, if you will. They're, they're kind of lumping spirituality all together. Is, is this okay that they would go to the, to the high places and, and sacrifice? No, of course it's not okay. I want to read this to you. Or you can turn there if you'd like. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 2. Deuteronomy chapter 12, a few pages to the left, verse 2, it says this, You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. If that wasn't clear enough, you shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all the tribes to put his name for his dwelling place, and there you shall go. There you shall take your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes, your heave offerings of your hand. Look down at verse 8. You shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own heart. Look down at verse 13. Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but in the place which the Lord chooses in one of your tribes, there shall be, uh, you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. So the nation of Israel, they've they've stepped out into compromise. The Bible was very clear. Uh, They'd given this, this information to them. They knew they weren't supposed to be doing this. They were actually supposed to destroy these things. They were supposed to completely wipe them out, completely destroy them. And we see this, uh, this sort of slide that's taken place. First, we see a peace treaty with Egypt. And why was the peace treaty with Egypt bad, by the way? They weren't supposed to make that, right? Egypt is always a picture of what? The world. It's a picture of the world. They, the Israelites were in bondage to Egypt. When the Lord removed them from bondage, it's a picture of sin. They're removed from, from the bondage which they held. 
That's what Egypt is a picture of. And now they're going back and they're making this peace treaty with, with, with sin. And it's, it's kind of like, it's like a, you know, I'm going to relate it to a believer that kind of, well, yeah, I'm saved, but I got this sin in my life that I'm, I'm just not ready to leave. I want to make a treaty with it. We're going we're to kind of pretend and we're going to play around with it for a while. And we see where it leads. It leads to the, the people of Israel are now worshiping and they're sacrificing at the high places. Why would they do such a thing? Look at the very next verse. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father, David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Well, they're doing it because their leader's doing it. Solomon didn't set the right standard. He's, he, he's, he's you know, and I want to kind of talk about this part of Solomon's life first. He's made a couple of mistakes. He, he's, he's done a couple of things. He's, he hasn't set the standard for the country in his own life because he's doing it, they're doing it. So they, they have this compromise going on. But it wouldn't be fair just to talk negatively about Solomon because he has some incredible things that he's doing here too. Because in these first four verses, number one, we saw that Solomon was serving God. He was building a wall around the city of Jerusalem to protect him. He was building the temple of God. I mean, he was actually serving God. And then we just read in verse three, Solomon loved the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord. He was serving God. He loved the Lord. And how does, it show, how does it say that he loved the Lord? Walking in the statutes of his father, David. He was, what does that mean? That means he was obeying the word of God. He was obedient to what God's word says. Do you love God? You love, you love the Lord? Are you obedient to his word? That's how we show our love to him, isn't it? No, Lord, I'm going to show my love to you by telling you that I love you. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. But I don't really want to listen to what you say. No, no, I'm not, that's not how we show our love. We show our affection to the Lord by obedience, by taking the word of God and applying it to our life, allowing it to go through it, through us. When, it point, when, when you study the word of God and you find something wrong in your life, you think, I got to change that about my life. Lord, help me change that about my life. We need to fix that. It's been pointed out because we can study the word of God and let it go in one ear and out the other, and that's not love for the Lord at all. But Solomon had a true love for the Lord. He had a desire for the Lord. That's what the scripture is pointing out. He loved God, and he's talking about it. He, he loved the Lord here. But also, I want you to see something here in verse 4. He worshiped the Lord. He worshiped. Look at verse 4. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on an altar. Gibeon. What's Gibeon? Gibeon is where the tabernacle was standing. Gibeon at this point in time, the tabernacle was in Gibeon. The ark was in Jerusalem. David had brought the ark back to Jerusalem. The tabernacle was in Gibeon just by a way of history. Remember, the ark was taken under the control when Eli, when Eli was, the, was the high priest. The ark was taken, and it was taken by the Philistines. They took it back. You know, the whole thing with Dagon fell over. They didn't want it. They sent it back with the cows attached to it. The car, ark went back to uh, Kerath-Jerim. And that's in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Saul takes the, takes the tabernacle after it had been destroyed and moves it to Nob. That's where David goes when he's fleeing from Saul. And then again, so we're not told why, but Saul moves the tabernacle to Gibeon. And that's where it's standing at this point in our story. The tabernacle's at Gibeon. So when Saul goes to the great high place to sacrifice, he's actually going to the tabernacle. Follow me? Make sense? So he's, and notice what he sacrifices. A thousand cattle. That's a lot of oxen. That's a lot of, that's a lot of things, that's a big barbecue. I mean, that's a lot of things burning on the altar. Think about the time that it would have taken him to do that. So his worship cost him something. His worship cost him part of his resources, which could, you could even say financially, but his worship cost him his time, his worship cost him, how do you get a thousand oxen up to Gibeon from Jerusalem? 
You're going to have to walk with them. You're going to have to hurt them. You're going to have to get them up there. And it, it, it cost him something. It, it was really, it was, it was something that he was serious about. So what we come to Solomon in his life, we see that he's serving God. He loved God. He's worshiping God. But there's some compromise in his life, isn't there? There's some compromise because he hasn't really been following all of the word of God. And I thought, you know, man, is that not our life today sometimes? Is that not the Christian life today? And I think the Lord points this stuff out to us for a reason. Because as I look through the, this life, does anybody have any compromise in your life? I do. I know that I, there's always in my life I look and go, man, Lord, every time you give me one of these messages, you know, I feel like you're screaming at me first, which he is, and that's good because I need to hear it first. But as I studied this and I started to look at this, I thought, man, Solomon's great. You're serving God. You're loving God. You're worshiping God. And there's compromise. You know, why would there be compromise? And, you know, you kind of get down on Solomon a little bit. Like, what's wrong with you? And you realize, you know what? That's me. We all have a little compromise in our life. And it needs to be dealt with. Because if it's not dealt with, what, what can happen is that little tiny bit of sin, that little tiny bit of compromise will continue to grow and to grow and to grow and to grow. And it will bring you places that you never thought you could be. In Solomon's case, hundreds of wives, hundreds of concubines, never finding happiness, never really understanding. But here's something cool. Serving God, loves God, worships God. Notice what he's going to do next. He's going to hear from God. He's going to hear from God. Now, before we read it, I want to kind of set it up for you. Sometimes people will say, well, how do you hear from God? You know, I, I don't hear from God the way that you do. You know, I don't, you know, I read the Bible, I don't hear anything. You know, you talk about a still, small voice that you just know it's the Lord leading you. I don't hear that in my life. And here's what you can ask them. Someone asked that to you. Are you serving God? Are you loving God by being obedient to his word? Are you worshiping God? And then comes the hearing from God. Let me say that because it's important. If you want to hear from God, if, you've got a, if you're at a crossroad, I need direction from God. I need, I, need, I need to know what to do. You're going to go to his word and you're going to look to hear the voice of the Lord out of the word. That's the primary way the Lord speaks to us. He'll never, ever, ever speak anything contrary to his word. You know, so if he's telling you to do something and you know that the word speaks against it, you're not hearing from God. You're hearing from your own mind. You're hearing from somebody. Else. It's, not, it's not the Lord. He'll never contradict his word. But what it is, is when he's, or when you want to hear from him, you need to be, are you serving him? Are, are you in service to the Lord? Are you doing the things he's called you to do? Are you obedient to him? I've said this before. Oftentimes, the first thing you're ever going to hear from God is, I want you to stop this. The first thing you might hear is that conviction that says, I want you to stop thinking this way. I want you to stop going to this place. I want you to stop calling this person. I want you to stop looking at that. I want you to stop, stop, stop. And if you haven't stopped, why would you hear anything else from the Lord? I want you to do that first. Take step one before I give you step two. Take step, you know, you're not going to hear, I want you to be a missionary to Africa for the very first time. The first time you go to the Lord and say, Lord, I really need some direction in here, you may hear stop something. I want you to just draw close to me. It's going to be about a relationship oftentimes. You know, I mean, not every, everybody is different, but it's, it's going to be something for you. But the question that I often get is, how do you, you know, I don't really hear from the Lord. And I often ask, are you trying to hear from the Lord? Because are, are, are you submitted to what the Lord's going to tell you before he tells you? Or do you just want to get his opinion like he's one of your friends? Or I say, what do you think about this situation, God? And if I like your opinion, then I'll follow it. You see, that's not really God, is it? That's you setting up yourself as God saying, I just want your opinion, God. You see, because when you really go to the Lord and you say, Lord, I want to hear from you on this, you're submitted to the direction that he gives you before it comes out. 
If you're not hearing from the Lord, make sure you're submitted. Make sure you're in worship. Make sure you're in service. Make sure you're in obedience to the Lord. And now Solomon hears from the Lord. Look what he hears. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? That's amazing. Can you imagine God appearing? Now, and we'll talk about the dream thing in a minute, but God appears to Solomon in a dream. He says, what do you want, Solomon? Anything you want, I'll give you. You ever played the game, if I had three wishes, what would I wish for? You know, why a million dollars or this or that? And that, that Solomon gets a chance to live this out. What, what, what will it want? What, what, would you, what would you want if, if God appeared to you and said, if anything that you want, I'll give it to you. You see, we, we have that promise in the New Testament. Jesus tells us, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. Knock and it will be opened to you. That's in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. John chapter 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. John, 1 John five fourteen. if we ask anything according to, here's the catch, his will. Here's the catch, his will. You see, it's not a free pass to ask anything that you want and God will give it to you. It's if you ask anything according to his will. And if you're really seeking God, all you really want is his will, so you have no desire to ask anything outside of his will. But if you ask according to his will, he hears us, it says. He hears us. So if we're asking according to his will, we have that same promise. So the Lord comes to Solomon in a dream. And I just briefly, let's talk about dreams. What are they? What do they do? What do they mean? I have no idea. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I would be some, you know, I know the the Bible speaks of dreams and we see dreams. I I, got to be honest. I know that God is not the author of confusion. If a dream brings confusion into your life, I don't know that it's from the Lord. Uh, I wouldn't put too much faith into, into what you're, I, w- I wouldn't move my life on a dream. It might just be the chili that you ate for dinner. I don't know. You know, I really wouldn't focus, you know, people come to me, all, I had this dream. What does it mean? I have no idea. I'm not a dream interpreter, you know. Go to the word. You know, God's not going to speak to you in some kind of code that you can't understand. And, you know, it's not like God's got to, I want to I tell Rob something, so I'm going to give him a dream. I don't really want him to figure it out. I want him to really work for it. You see, if you're really seeking the Lord and you really want his will, he's going to make it known to you. That's, that's the way that a dad is. That's the relationship that you have with God. He, he's not going to make it, make it hard. Now, and I'm not saying he'll never speak with a dream because there's probably some of you guys, well, no, the Lord's really spoke to me through a dream. Great. That's fantastic. As long as you know it's from him and it's consistent with the word. But I, I don't know that I, in my life, I've always kind of, they're always kind of weird. I they don't really have a meaning to them. I, you know, I'm always dreaming these silly, dumb things if I remember it at all, you know. So I, I don't put a whole lot of faith into those. But you might be different. So the Lord speaks to, here, to Solomon here in a dream. He says, ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, you have shown great mercy. I'm in verse 6. You have shown great mercy to your servant, David, my father. Because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people 
of yours. Notice what Solomon says. He recounts in verse 6 what God has done. God, you've been faithful. You've been merciful. You've shown your great mercy to your servant David, my father. And you've shown that to him for a reason. Why? Because he walked in your ways. He walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart. And you've continued this great kindness for him. And you've put me on the throne, Lord. You see, Solomon's given glory to God for him being there. What's he showing there? Humility. He's showing humility. Solomon's humble, saying, Lord, you've done this for me. Man, what a lesson that we need to learn. Do we understand and do you understand that the place that you've accomplished, the things that you've accomplished, the place that you're at in life, are you giving glory to God for it? There's no such thing as a self-made man or a self-made woman. Wherever you are, if you've accomplished much things, it's because God has given you the ability to do that. It's because God has given you the wisdom. God has brought the brakes along. God has, God has done that. He's allowed that to happen in your life. Solomon is right on in humbly coming before God and saying to him, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But notice he, when it comes to his own abilities, because Solomon understood who he was. He really understood who he was. Look what he says. I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. He said, God, I'm like a little kid. I don't know what I'm doing. How do I rule this kingdom? I don't know what I'm doing, Lord. You, I've got all these people. They're your people. Now I'm sitting on the throne of David. And David was a great king. The, they didn't know it at this time. He's going to the greatest king of Israel ever. Lord, I don't even know what to do. How cool is that? How, that that's the leader that you want. That says, God, I don't know what to do, but I'll follow you. I don't know. I've felt that way with this church before. As we've started to grow and things start happening, I'm looking and going, Lord, I don't know what to do. I mean, I, my background was not in church planting. My background was in homicide and violent crime investigation. You know, that's what I could do. I mean, I could solve a crime for you, but when it comes to the next step in church planting, but then I realized something, what better place to be? Because I'm not relying on my next step. I go to the Lord, Lord, what do we do next? There's, there's, did you see last Sunday? We were full, Lord, what do we do? And I'm waiting for an answer on what to do next. I just have to keep seeking. And we're going, to keep, we're going to keep pursuing things exactly the way we have always done it until the Lord moves in a different direction, whatever that looks like. If we have people sitting on the floor for a few weeks, well, then get up and let the ladies and the old people sit on the chairs and the guys will sit on the floor. It's just the way that it goes. You know, we're, going to, we're not going to just do something because our circumstance dictates it. We're going to want to hear from the Lord. But is your life run that way? Do you run your life that way? Do you say, Lord, I need to hear from you on this. I'm not moving in this circumstance. I'm not moving and I'm not changing jobs. I'm not moving, selling my house. I'm not getting out of my apartment. I'm not doing anything until I hear from you. Lord, tell me what you want me to do next. And I will stay right here. Because here's what happens. We say that for like about an hour, right? <laughs> it's been about an hour. Lord, I haven't heard from you. It's been an hour. All right, I guess I got to make my own decision, right? Can I encourage you to stay where you're at until God moves you somewhere else? Now, unless that's sin, then you've got to move out of it. But when it comes to our decisions in life, stay where you're at, remain there, be content there, and wait on the Lord. And wait on him, because maybe he's just testing you to see if you'll really wait. Lord, I want to go. All right, well, just, just wait. Can you wait a year? No, I can't wait a year. Why not? Because I want to go now. Wait a year. 
Yeah, but I don't, but I, th- th- this other apartment's open, this other house. And, no, no, you don't understand. I've got something much greater for you, but you've got to wait that year. But no, Lord, I can't take it. My neighbors are driving me nuts, and, and you don't understand. The guy with the boat next to me is running the engine all night long. I, I can't sleep, and I can't get up and do my devotions. And, and I'm, I've just, ju- all right, I've got to go now. Lord says, okay, go ahead. But you're never going to know what you missed out on. I told you, I wanted you to wait. I wanted you to wait for what I had for you. But I, but, but, but I don't know about you, but I want all that God has for me. I don't want to miss out on anything. I don't want to be the person that goes and justifies my own actions, because I've done that. We've all made that mistake. We've done that before. And it usually, it, and sometimes it ends up fine. But the thought of missing out on something great, I've watched God's hand from the time we moved up here do everything with our church miraculously. From radio stations to the house we live in to the neighbors we met to everything has just been the the hand of God. And I don't want to mess that up. I don't want to get in the way of that. I just want to see what he's going to do next. But there are times where I go, come on, God, you got to do something. we got to do something here. What are we going to do here, Lord? And I just have to wait. And it it becomes my my mission. And I've said this from the time I got here. All I want to be is obedient to God, whatever that looks like. I, that's all, I want to be able to, at the end of my life, at the end of the day, say, I did what God called me to do. Nothing more, nothing less. I walked in obedience to him. And that, that's, that's the goal. But is that the goal for your life? Because that should be the goal for all of our Christian lives. You see, we're not, if we're going to be serious about following God, we have to be willing to wait on the Lord sometimes. We have to be willing to stand right where we're at. We have to be willing to say, Lord, I'm not moving until you lead me. And I would encourage you to do that. He said, well, how long do I have to wait? I don't have any idea. Might be two hours. Might be two days. Might be two years. Might be two decades. I don't know. Keep praying. Keep seeking. And when the time is right, he will open it up to you. But don't move out ahead. So Solomon here understands, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing in this. I'm in the midst of your people. You chose them, Lord. They're a great people. I don't even know how many know how many there are. Yes, he does. His dad numbered him, remember? Now, he says, therefore, this is what he asked for. He said, would you give your servant, give your, and I love that too. Do we see ourselves as servants of the Lord? Do you really see yourself as a, we don't like to be you mean, servant, slave. That, that's kind of a bad word, you know. But no, we're supposed to be servants of the Lord. He's, the, he's supposed to be our master. What does a good slave do? What does a good servant do? Nothing more than the master asked. Well, what if there's nothing to do? Then he waits around for the next order, right? Just waits around for the next order. And how do you know if you're a good servant? By the way you respond when somebody treats you like one. You'll know you're a good servant by the way that you respond in your heart or out of your mouth when somebody treats you like the very thing that you are. That's convicting, huh? Me too, yeah. So here he is. He says, give your servant, Lord, this is what I need, an understanding heart to judge your people. Lord, you've brought your people, and I need to understand. I need, I need an understanding heart. I need to discern between good and evil. Lord, show, give me the wisdom, essentially, is what he's asking for. Who, for who is able to judge these great people of yours? And notice the Lord's response in verse 10. The speech pleased the Lord, that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you've asked this thing, and have not asked long life for yourself. You haven't asked for riches for yourself. Nor have you asked for the life of your enemies. But you've asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. What would you ask if you had the one wish? If God came to you and said, I'll give you anything you want. Oh, just give me a husband. 
Give me a wife. Give me kids. Give me, what is it that your heart to the Jews said, this is what I want, Lord. Would you be willing to say, Lord, whatever your will is? Would you be willing to look beyond the, the, the need that you have for the moment and say, Lord, I just need the wisdom. I need the wisdom to deal with it. I, 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 what is it that you need from the Lord? What is it that we need from the Lord? You see, Solomon says, I need the wisdom to know how to deal with these people of yours, Lord. They're hard, they're tough, and you need to show me how to make the right judgments. How can I do this, Lord? And the Lord says, oh, I'm so glad that you asked, Solomon. I'm so glad that you didn't ask for money. I'm so glad that you didn't ask for your, your, your enemy's head. I'm so glad that you didn't ask for a long life. I'm so glad that you, you asked for something that, that's, that's meaningful, that's valuable. And he says in verse 12, Behold, I've done according to your words. See, I've given you a wise and understanding heart. So there's not been anyone like you before you, nor shall there be, be any like you arise after you. And also, I've given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor. So there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all of your days. So notice what he says. God says, Solomon, I'm, so, I'm going to do it. You've got it. You're going to be the wisest person that ever lived. As a matter of fact, because you didn't ask for riches, I'm going to give you riches too. You're going to be the wealthiest person ever. You didn't even ask for honor. I'm going to give you that too. I'm going to give you all of it, Lord. I mean, Solomon, I'm going to give you all of it, Solomon. Here it is. It's yours. There'll be no one like you, but if, if, there's an if. Notice the if. doesn't really say if, but you could put an if there. If, or my Bible says so in verse 14. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So the Lord says to Solomon here, this is the sec actually the second warning. David would have warned him first. This is the second time. He will go on to get at least two more warnings about this. Solomon, you've got to walk in the ways of the Lord. You've got to keep the word of the Lord. You've got, to, you've got to do it, Solomon. If, you, if that is not the focus of your life, if that is not the driving principle behind you, you're going to find yourself walking away from God. You're going to find yourself leaving the Lord. You're going to find yourself, it's going to become the Bible that's sitting on the shelf that's not getting read. You guys know that. You're here on Thursday nights. You're the, I mean, you guys know how important it is to be in the Word of the Lord. That's why you're here in the, middle, you're in the middle of the week. But how long did your Bible sit on your shelf before you actually started reading it? And how long did you start reading it before you actually started living it? And when you start living it, you start seeing God work and you start to see change. And you go, wow, why did I wait so long? This is the way that... Solomon's being warned, you've got to keep the statutes. You've got to keep the Lord, the, the, the word of the Lord. You've got to keep it this way. And I, you know, we're not under the Old Testament law, so I kind of equate that to our scriptures. You know, we've got to keep the Bible. It's got to be at the forefront of our, our lives. It's got to be the forefront of our thoughts and our mind. If you do it, Lord, if you do it, Solomon, then you'll have lengthened days. In verse 15, Solomon awoke. And indeed, it had been a dream, and he came to Jerusalem. He stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered up peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. So he comes back to Jerusalem, stands before the Ark of the Covenant, worships the Lord, makes some more offerings. And as we move into the rest of the chapter, we get to see his great wisdom in action. Lord, give me wisdom. Fine, you've got wisdom. And now we get to see it in action. Look at verse 16. Now, two women who were harlots, those are prostitutes. Some actually scholars don't believe that was prostitutes. They, they believe that word could also be used for innkeeper. So it's possible it's two ladies who were innkeepers, but harlots is probably more likely. They came to the king, they stood before him, and one woman said, 
Oh, my Lord, this woman I dwell, this woman and I dwell in the same house. And I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after I have given birth that this woman also gave birth and we were there together and no one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. So you get what's taking place? These two ladies are living together in the same house. They both gave birth. Uh, no one's by themselves. So that's kind of where the harlot thing fits. You know, husbands aren't around. Men are not around. Uh, they're giving birth. They both have babies. They're three days apart. Now they're in front of the king. And then it says in verse 19, this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him which means that she was in the bed and she must have rolled over on the child. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I arose early in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. But when I examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had born. And the other woman, she said, no, but the living one is my son and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, no, but the dead one is your son and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. Did you catch the problem? Two ladies in the same house. They give birth three days apart. In the middle of the night, one of the ladies lays on her son, and the son passes away. She wakes up in the middle of the night, realizes what took place, doesn't want to be without a son, takes her son, the one that had passed away, puts it with the other woman, takes her son, and puts it with her. This is crazy, huh? How'd this stuff even make the Bible? Doesn't that, now, we haven't got there yet, but this is the great wisdom of Solomon. You're going to see it here. You ready? Where do we leave off? Verse 24. They're standing before the king. In verse 24, the king said, bring me a sword. Bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. Now, what do you think the people are thinking at that point? Wait, 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 wait. What do you need a sword for, king? Solomon, what do we need a sword for? No, no, no. You don't, there's no sword needed. We just need you to tell us what to do about this problem. And Solomon, yeah, I know. Bring me a sword. So they bring a sword to him. And then the king said, verse 25, divide the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son. And she said, oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill him. But the other said, let him neither be mine nor yours, but divide him. So King Solomon was able to expose their heart. The mother of the son that was living made it very clear. What did she say? Don't kill him. Fine. I'd rather have her raise him than you divide him in two. Now, I don't think he was really going to divide him in two. You know, what would have happened if that? No, I don't think that was that. that part, of the, part of the wisdom here was he was going to bring them to a place where they thought he was going to divide them in two. And at the very last moment, he understood the real mother would say, no, no, don't do it. Let her have it. Therefore, exposing who the, who the fake mother or the pretend mother was. And that's exactly what took place. That's what takes place. Verse 27, so the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child and by no means kill him. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered. They feared the king for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. Now there's a part of me that scratches my head and goes, that's it? That's the greatest, smartest man that ever lived? That's that's all he figured out was how to solve that problem? Well, that's the one that the scripture gives us. And we know that people will travel. The Queen of Sheba will come to see him. We know that his, his wisdom is spoken of. Matter of fact, he wrote the majority of the book of Proverbs, which is filled with wisdom. 
He wrote that for us. And uh, what we're going to find out as we continue to study Solomon's life, here at the beginning, towards the beginning of his life, we see Solomon in a place where he's serving God. He's serving God. He's loving God. He's walking in the ways of the Lord. He's worshiping God, making burnt offerings. But we, hear, we see him hear from the Lord. But we also see some compromise in his life. He has a problem. He has a problem. There's a little bit of compromise with the worship. We're, we're not going to completely obey the word of God. We're just going to kind of forget that part. Well, there, and, and they justify it. Well, there's just nowhere else to worship. So we'll just, we'll just use any altar that's available and, and we'll let the pagans sacrifice. But we're not sacrificing to their gods. We're just sacrificing to Jehovah God. We're just going to borrow their altar. Neglecting what God's word had said previously in Deuteronomy. No, don't do that. Those altars should have been torn down. That little compromise, that little bit of sin. And I know I'm not really supposed to marry women outside of the Israelites. I know that, you know, we're told that they, they'll, they'll draw me astray. But, but you know, I kind of like the Egyptian women. I, you know, I kind of like Pharaoh's daughter. She's pretty attractive. And I think, you know, I think, I think we'd be good together. It'd be, a, it'd be a good political connection for us. It wouldn't be that bad. So in the midst of all this good, there's just a few little just a few little problem spots in his life, right? Not, nothing major, just, I mean, after all, kings were always having multiple wives, even though the scriptures told the kings of Israel not to take wives to themselves. It was, it was pretty common in that day. It was, it was culturally acceptable. He, he, was, he was living to what the culture dictated. I want to show you how Solomon's life ends. Turn with me a few pages to the right in Solomon chapter, or Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 11. And I want to read this to you because we're kind of done this sort of overview in the first four verses of what's going on. But I want to show you where it leads him. Because he only had a little bit of compromise. And he had justification for it. I think that he probably justified it in his mind. But here in 1 Kings chapter 11 it says, But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Edomites and the Sidonians and the Hittites. From the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Why not, God? Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. And he goes on and tells us about all the different gods that Solomon went after. And we'll cover that in more detail when we get to 1 Kings chapter 11. But turning back to our passage this evening, 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon in his place in his life is in a good place. Nobody's perfect, right? We all make mistakes. Solomon's loving God. He's serving God. He's worshiping God. He's hearing from God. He's building a house of God. He's doing things for God. He's just got these few little places of compromise. But did you see where those few little places of compromise grew to? Did you see that they were left undealt with? I just want an Egyptian wife for the Pharaoh. And it turns into 700 wives. I just want one more. How do you have 700 wives? What man in his right mind would want 700 wives? Crazy, right? How do they get along? Can you imagine? I'm wife number 437. 
I get every Monday, the third year, the third Monday of the month, every three years or whatever, you know. How do you, how do you wrap your mind around that? But there's this little thing in Solomon's life. He's just off a little bit. Follow the statutes. I am, but there's this one area. I'm convinced that at some point the Lord said, hey, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be doing it. And Solomon just continued. Think about it. If two, if two wives aren't enough, three wives aren't enough, four wives aren't enough, how many? How, your sin will never satisfy you. Not, it, you will never have enough of that little thing that you think, I just need a little bit of. You'll just keep going after it and keep going. And how do you, he didn't set out to say, I want to see how many wives I can have. He set out looking for satisfaction, for pleasure in one more wife, thinking that would be the one that gave me, that's the time, that's the, that's the pleasure. Just one more time, one more wife, that'll help me, that'll please me. Just one more. And he finds himself at 700. Your sin will lead you to places you never thought you would go if you don't deal with it. Solomon's whole life, the wisest man that ever lived, and he's, look at how he's known. His heart was turned away from God at the end of his life. Turned away from God because he followed his sin. He was wise. He, had, he didn't have any spiritual wisdom. He might have had wisdom, you know, earthly wisdom, which Proverbs is filled with, but it doesn't save you. There's nothing spiritual in Proverbs. You can be a non-believer and follow the Proverbs and, and still get great success from them. There's nothing that leads you to God in there. I mean, there are some, but it, 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 they're principles to live by is what I'm saying. They're, they're not going to save you from your sin. You, you, can, you can be a better person in society if you live by these principles. But Solomon never dealt with these couple of little issues. He never dealt with the, well, just a compromise on the idols, just the location. I'll build a house, it'll all go away. Fine, that's fine. That, 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 maybe that problem went away when he built a grand temple, when he built the temple for the Lord. But the women thing, the wife thing, he never dealt. It just grew and it grew and it grew, and it grew. And it makes me ask the question to myself as well as you, what is the thing in my life that goes after meanwhile and accept? What is it as we serve the Lord, we love the Lord, we worship the Lord, we walk with the Lord, we hear from the Lord, accept? What is it? And you fill in the blank for your life, and I'll fill in the blank for my life, and we don't have to talk to each other about it. But what we do need to do is deal with it. Because if we don't, how far will it go? How far will you let it run? How much control will it gain over you? How does a guy get to where 700 wives and 300 concubines aren't enough? Because he didn't deal with the accept in his life. He let the accept grow and grow and grow. So for some people, and I'm not even going to make a list because I might miss somebody, but what is it that God has, that you just know that God says, I want you to deal with this. I, want, I don't want you to leave here tonight without dealing with this. I want you to either, either there, there's a compromise for you and the world, and God is just saying, I want this handled tonight. It's my accept. It's your accept. Will you deal with it before you leave tonight? Or are you just going to walk out and go, well, I'll deal with it next time. I'll, ca- I'll catch it next time. I, Lord, I, you know, yeah, I, I, but I'm just not ready yet, Lord. I'm just not ready to give it up yet. I'm just not ready to say, no, Lord, I, I just can't. See where, see where it led Solomon? Is that where we want it to go? You see, I'm going to close in prayer. And as we always do, I think it's good that we take a few minutes at the end of service for you to seek the Lord in prayer. Again, this is quiet and private time. And I don't want to hear it. It's between you and the Lord. It's between you and your God. It's between you to it's. Do you have the heart to say, Lord, what is the accept in my life? Chances are you already know. We, already, we don't really have to ask God, what's the accept in my life? We already know what it is. We already know the area of compromise that, we, that, we're, that, we're, that we're in sometimes. 
The question is, will you deal with it tonight? Or do you read how Solomon's life turns out and goes, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that risk and just live a few more days, a few more weeks, a few more months and see what happens. I'll deal with it next week, next month, next year. I'll deal with it after I get married. I'll deal with it after I have kids. I'll deal with it. I'll No, let tonight be the night. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just come before you. Lord, as we look at Solomon's life, man, he started so good, serving you, loving you, sacrificing, worshiping, hearing from you, Lord, asking humbly before you, knowing that you put him on the throne. He starts so good. He just has these two little things. One seems to be solved when he builds the temple. The third one, Lord, the the wife thing, the going outside of your will thing, just not following your word in that area of his life. And Lord, that's the very thing that goes on to destroy him. And Father, there's things in our life and you don't bring them all to the surface at once. Little by little, piece by piece, you change us, you shape us, and you mold us more into your image as we grow and we mature in you. So Lord, would you just bring to our heart that thing tonight that you want us to deal with? that you want us to lay down at the foot of the cross, that you want us to walk out of here, that no longer being the thing that describes who we are. So Father, we come before you now, individually, but as also corporately as a body. We come to you and say, Lord, hear our prayer. Show us. Maybe there's repentance that needs to happen. So go before the Lord now on your own. And just see what he brings to your heart. And allow him to deal with it in you.